In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos Podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos post-game reaction podcast brought to you by Funny Bone Broth. My name is Ben Grant, joined as always by JB as the Toronto Argonauts defeat the Hamilton Tiger Cats 37-20 in what was a game of two halves. And we will break it all down for you over the next little while. Uh, JB, first first thoughts and reactions after this game? Fantastic. Um, best game since the Halifax game. Uh, terrific second half. Uh, showed again, why they have the potential to, you know, to be a contender. It was such a weird game in that, like, Hamilton didn't really play that well in either half. They were better in the first half than the second, but it's not like they were lights out in the first half. They They were fine, but the Argos couldn't get anything going. And it's hard to, like, I'm actually really interested to rewatch tomorrow and, and go through some of the stuff because a lot of it didn't make sense to me. Some of the stuff that wasn't working in the first half is much of the same. You know, receivers weren't open. The line wasn't giving Bethel Thompson very much time. They had really no rushing attack to speak of. And you look at McLeod's numbers in the first half, 8 of 17 for 99 yards, one touchdown, one pick. But then in the second half, everything changed. And somehow there was just enough time for him to get the ball out. Receivers were just getting open. And that was all the difference in the world. They still didn't really have a rushing attack. But in the second half, he's 11 of 15 for 159, two touchdowns, no interceptions. And the defense was playing lights out on top of that. And they just completely ran away with it. It was a dominant second half from the Argos. Yeah, they absolutely took it to Hamilton. Uh, I'm sure Hamilton will be keen to uh, return the favor, but uh, like you say, it was as uh, as dominant as we've seen the Argos be at home, which is great to see as well, because in the CFL, you do have to kick butt at home. If they could find a way to bottle that second half, they can beat any team in the CFL. There's nobody in the CFL that would have withstood that second half performance we saw from the Argonauts tonight. It's just they they haven't been able to even do that for a half most games. You see little glimpses of it here and there. And to get it for a full half was enough to beat a team like Hamilton. It's probably not enough to beat a, a team like Winnipeg quite yet because I think we saw a similar second half performance against the Blue Bombers, but they got off to such a rough start that you know they ended up being one point short in the end. But yeah, if they can play like that, there's there's nobody they there's nobody that that they can't go up against, and I think that just watching Calgary and Winnipeg last night, last week's loss to the Stampeders doesn't really feel as bad, seeing as Calgary really could have maybe should have won that game against the Blue Bombers. The Argos, even when they're playing okay, are right there with almost everybody. Yeah, they well, I mean, we t- we talked about it, you, you know, and and have talked about it all season in that they are incredibly inconsistent and they've had to to deal with a lot of injuries, but the core level of talent, which is why we don't have massive crazy mood swings um about, you know, what we think about the team is because I think we both believe the core of this team is still very talented. And and can can still compete with with any team in the league, and um, you know they showed that today. Now, can can they, 
you know, keep that going. I mean, I don't expect it from them every game. If I mean, if they if they did it every game, they'd be the best team in the league. I I I didn't think they were at the beginning of the year. I don't think they are now. But you don't have to be the best team in the league to win the Great Cup. You just have to be able to unleash this version in November. Let's go through the game chronologically, and there's a bunch of talking points I want to hit along the way. The first quarter was not a quarter I am looking forward to seeing tomorrow uh, on rewatch. It, the quarter ended 3-3, and it just felt like Toronto wasn't really getting any breaks. Some of it they were doing to themselves. The The bend but don't break defense was working, but I, I find that so frustrating. It was something I asked, uh, I asked Jamal Peters a little bit about that after the game, and he even talked about how it's frustrating as a DB sometimes because they give up these these uh, short passes that end up going for 10 yards pretty much every time. And there were a lot of tweets about that today too. I know from Argos fans who were really frustrated by this. It just seemed like anytime Hamilton wanted to, they could check down, hit a, a running back on a swing pass, and there's nobody near him. And it happens again and again and again. And eventually the Argos tighten up down the other end. You're a defensive coordinator. How does that? How do you justify being able to let up ten yards pretty much any time a team wants? Yeah, the, you have to have the you have to have the patience to do it because you know that basically from the thirty to the thirty, like go ahead, like you know move between the thirty and the thirty, and you know kick four field goals five field goals, right? That's not going to win the game. I mean, as long as the offense is playing, you know, okay, you're going to win that game. And the goal is to win the game. The goal is not how many two and outs you have or how many sacks or, you know, it's not about statistics. It's about the score. The score is the only number that matters as a defensive coordinator. And I love it. I think it makes the most sense with, with what they have. And, you basically are defying teams to to try and take a shot downfield, and and often when they try to, it gets picked. You know, so uh, you know, as as a fan, you just have to be okay with the ball moving between the thirties and what looks like bad defense because a guy's left alone and a guy's left alone. But then when you get down to twenty five, that play's not there anymore, and you're you're stuffing them in the only part of the field that matters. So, you know, from a fan perspective, hopefully I think fans are, are, are getting more accustomed to it and not getting kind of too, you know, worked up over easy receptions being made uh, in the middle of the field because the red zone defense has been really elite. And I think, I think fans are recognizing that. For listeners who haven't seen my film piece from this week, it's I think it's worth a, a look just based on the conversation we're having now because the three interceptions today for the Argos, all for Jamal Peters, but three interceptions last week as well. And these interception opportunities are coming up because of this bend but don't break philosophy we're talking about because they, they will give that short pass. And like JB, like you were saying, that... If you're going to march all the way down the field like that and be happy with the field goal, fine. Um, but the thing is, teams won't be happy with that. Teams aren't happy just throwing swing passes all day long. They get frustrated and they want to take shots. And when you've got 
a, a deeper set as a DB. You've got everything happening in front of you. It allows you to attack. And for guys like Jamal Peters today, he's sitting back and he can observe. He can watch. He talked about with some of his interceptions, being able to to stare at Dane Evans and see where the ball was going and make an evaluation and have time to make the play. And it's this style of defense that, yeah, it's frustrating at times, but it's also why you have six interceptions in the span of two weeks because it, it just puts DBs in an advantage when the team wants to do anything other than hit a swing pass. Let's talk about uh, some of the uh, other things that went wrong in that first quarter that were uh, sources of frustration. There was a there was a PI uh, flag that was picked up. It was a pass out to Banks. It was tipped at the line of scrimmage. This really bothers me because I know I find officials really quick to jump on the tipped pass thing. So the rule is if there's a tip pass, then PI doesn't get called because the thought is that the timing isn't right. It's not the DB's fault that he gets there early because the ball was tipped en route. And I'm fine with that. I get that. I think that makes sense. However, officials call that as if a tipped pass was going to affect the timing of all hits. And what I hated about that call is that clearly Banks has interfered with well before the, the ball is tipped. It's not even close. But as soon as they see that tip pass, they're like, no, tip pass, can't be PI. That's not a thing anymore. That that really bothered me. And I felt like it was a little bit of frustration because on the very next play, McLeod Bethel Thompson, he's arguing with the officials, saying the same things. On the very next play, he airs one out uh, way too deep for for Coxie, who wasn't didn't look like he was expecting the ball in a go route ends up being picked off. It's not a harmful pick. You and I both sitting in the booth, we we called it a an arm punt, uh, as we've used that term before, arm punt, because it was basically second to 10 at midfield, and now suddenly Hamilton's got the ball at their own 10. That's fine. But I just, I, I, I felt the I felt the officiating in general wasn't, it, not, it wasn't biased. I didn't feel like it was one-sided at all today. I just felt it was weird. I felt like we got some really strange calls from start to finish. And that was the first one of what would be many weird decisions I felt were made. Yeah, they weren't terrible. Uh, they seemed to be really soft on on spots the entire game for both teams. Um, you know, uh, at least five times I was uh, mystified at the spot. <laughs> you know, like, what? It seemed, you know, sometimes it felt like it was two yards off. I'm like, what? This is the most generous forward progress I've ever seen in my life or... Or when a guy came back for the ball, they gave him the point at at where he was when he came back for it. I'm like, oh, you know, that doesn't make any sense. And uh, they did to the my pet peeve, um, which is when they call a defensive lineman offside, even though he gets back onside. Find a lot of times, you know, they're so anxious to call that offside, they forget that a guy's allowed to get back onside. Um, you know, I thought it was pretty. It was pretty close. Was he back? He was certainly stepping backwards on the snap of the ball, but you know, it didn't affect the game. It was just uh, the play. The spots were, <laughs> you know, for both teams, just really generous. He was just a, you know, I guess they were just really cheering for the guys to get good plays. <laughs> it did. It affected the yardage, and it felt like you couldn't have a special teams play without a flag today. It was just one of those days where officials seemed excited to throw flags, and and we got a fair number of penalties early on. It did ease up in the end, and then at the end, I kind of felt like there should be a few more just to avoid what felt like it was going to boil over. Like tempers were starting to heat up a little bit. It was getting chippy. 
and that's where you would expect to see some flags and and we didn't so you know i guess yeah i mean that's I definitely know. a cfl thing right where both teams are on the same side in toronto um you know there has to be more regulation about that you you can't have guys coming all the way to the toronto sideline and then walking along the toronto sideline to their bench i mean you know there has to be some understanding that you need to stay on the other side of the numbers <laughs> when you're heading to your bench. You don't you don't need to like follow the Toronto guys to their bench and then drop them off like a school pickup and then head on down to your bench. You know that was look. I mean it was it looked like it was going to turn into a brawl and you know I mean I don't think the uh, I don't think I think that uh, there are a number of Argos that are good to go if you want to have a field clearing brawl. So, you know, I was concerned that, you know, that the thing was going to go sideways because, I mean, there were definitely a couple of guys on both sides that were hot in that second half. Yeah, it felt like it. With a couple of minutes left, I was thinking, like, Coach Dinwiddie, you'd better get everyone out of there. I think Chris Edwards is probably hot at breakfast, you know, (laughs) and walk through. He just wakes up that way. Yeah, so, you know, it didn't didn't surprise me. But, uh, you know, hey, that's, that's why we love him. And it just felt like there was no manner of luck for the Argos in the early going. We had a, you know, a couple just barely missed sacks. Like Robbie Smith had one where he flew by. I think it was I think it was Dane Evans at that point. Um, kind of got a hold of him, couldn't hang on to him. Then there was a, a QB sneak from Morton where the ball popped out of his hands, and it felt like that could have been that could have been stuffed or turned over. Somehow he recovered it, was able to get the first down. But then the luck started to change a little bit with the first of three Peters interceptions. And I got a bit of clarification from him after the game on the coverage. They were in a cover two shell. He's trailing uh, the receiver, which I think was Tim White coming down the sideline. And he's able to, in that trail position, just kind of watch and see what the quarterback's doing, where he's looking. He reads Evan's eyes and is able to come over and sort of undercut the route and pick that ball off. And that turned into points. And what was unfortunate, though, and this was this was the first half in a nutshell, is that they started to put a drive together. There were a couple of nice passes from Bethel Thompson. Leak had a nice middle run. And then there was a face mask penalty or a holding penalty. I don't remember which one it was at that stage. I think it was, I feel like it was the face mask penalty against, against McKellar. And that stalled the drive. Now you're settling for a 48-yard field goal instead of a touchdown. So that quarter ends 3-3. But it didn't, it didn't feel good. At the end of that quarter, 3-3, the Argos are now going into the wind in that second quarter. And that's something we haven't really talked much about today, but it did feel like the wind was playing a factor in this game, at least in the early stages. Yeah, and God love Hamilton. Um, They definitely thought the wind was more important than we did or the Argos did. And I think in some ways that really helped us uh, lock in the wind. Yeah, they deferred in the first half, which is what you usually do when you win the coin flip. But the thought is you're deferring so that you can take the second half kickoff. And there's a good chance that you score to end the first half and then get the ball back to start the second. And that's the position Hamilton should have been in. They scored right at the end of of the first half. But coming out in the second half, they chose side instead of ball because they wanted the win in the fourth quarter. Little did they know it wouldn't be a game anymore by the time they got yeah. to the fourth quarter. So No, and, yeah. and we both felt like Hamilton could have put a dagger in that game. If, you know, if they come out and start the second half with a touchdown drive, 
you know, the, the crowd gets out of it. The crowd gets on Toronto. It, it, it totally changes the game. The, the fact they kicked off to Toronto, I think, was, uh, you know, they're usually a very um, effective team you know in terms of coaching strategy you know I, I usually agree with with almost everything they do but that was not a good decision and the second quarter really wasn't going Toronto's way it started off with uh, Sutton getting kicked out uh, of the game for a groin punch I believe which turned into a 25 yard penalty that was such a huge moment because the Argos had pinned Hamilton down at their own three yard line and yes, they had the win, but Hamilton hadn't, it's not like they'd been moving the ball really effectively. Down at their own three, you're thinking at that point, if you can force a two and out here, they'll be giving the, the, the ball to Toronto at about midfield. But yeah, Sutton punches somebody in the groin and uh, now they're, they're up near the 30 and that completely uh, changed the momentum there. They end up uh, they end up converting a touchdown. Uh, Durant made a, a fantastic play. I don't know how he held on to that football. He catches the ball at about the one yard line. I think it was from Schiltz at that point. I think Schiltz had come into the game, and Durant just gets absolutely leveled at the one yard line somehow is able to not only hang on to the ball but actually turn his body around and reach out for the end zone and score the touchdown and it just it, it felt like Hamilton was going to roll they're up 10-3 at that point Toronto's just hasn't been able to do anything offensively the receivers can't get open you know we're, we're up there looking for open receivers we're looking to try and evaluate what's being missed here but that entire first half it wasn't like I ever looked down and saw an open receiver and thought oh I wonder why McLeod didn't throw there they were they were covered to a point where I think I said to you in the second quarter it looks like Hamilton knows the plays knows what's coming like they they know what route to anticipate here and they're all over it yeah and I remember you know being enraged at how vanilla Toronto's offense was it was it was maddening because you know it was just so easy to play against you don't no misdirection no real motion you can just line up and play man you know it it was it was really disheartening because they were not showing a lot of um innovation from the mistakes of the earlier games and i thought the first half offense was not well called I, I i didn't really understand what they were doing they were just kind of playing this very bland okay we're gonna run our running back into a wall okay now we're gonna drop back oh nobody's open punt um plan that look to the fans credit they did not get on the argos which they did the week before they did not get on them i think they they, I don't know whether they felt like it was going to turn around or they knew that the team didn't need to be kind of ridden so hard, but um, it, it was not a good f- quarter and a half of play calling or execution. I think the reason the fans didn't get on the Argos this week as compared to last week is because of the presence of Hamilton fans in yeah, the stadium. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's good. And call. so I think fans are more quick to support in that setting because you probably had about a thousand tiger cats fans there at least and uh you know there's there's chanting going back and forth and i think there's a little bit of team pride and defending you know quote unquote our guys that that goes on whereas you didn't have that last week in calgary it felt like a you know true home game with 99 percent of the the fans being argo fans 
um, and it's a little bit of a different environment. I was I was pretty disappointed actually in Hamilton. I'm talking to you, Hamilton. And I thought that that was I know that Toronto is a strange and scary place for for some, but I thought way more Hamilton fans would get on the go train and you know make a day of it at the X and and cheer on their team, and instead of just oh I'll just stay home and watch them in Hamilton. Um, they don't travel. I, you know, like they kind of have this reputation for traveling, but I feel like that's like a bygone era reputation because I haven't seen it. You know, uh, they traveled a little for the Eastern final, but I was disappointed in the Hamilton turnout tonight. I thought there would have been a lot more. Yeah, I, I expected that too. There weren't many. And... There, there weren't many, like really. I didn't think like you you couldn't really hear them cheering at all. Uh, I, I felt like just looking at the jerseys, I, I felt like there were probably about a thousand there, honestly, but that's that's really not much when you're considering it's only like a, a couple extra go train stops than everyone else is taking uh, because of the X and everything else. And there's the opportunity, like you said, to, to make a day of it, go to the X, do some things. Uh, but there, you know, there's a lot going on in the city. There's a J game tonight. There was a, a concert going on across the road uh, you know it's it was a busy night in Toronto but it, it often is in the summer so yeah I, I was a little surprised by the lack of Hamilton fans but I, I'm fine with that getting back to our recap Hamilton adds another fugle it's 13-3 at that point and then Toronto came to life so it's about a minute 20 remaining in the half and this is where McLeod Bethel Thompson who had really been playing quite poorly to this point in the game. I think at that point in the game, he's, he's completing fewer than 50% of his passes. He's got an interception, no touchdowns. And then he came to life. He had two beautiful completions in a row, 14 yards to Gittins, a 38-yarder to Banks on, on a, a gorgeous bullet to the sideline that the DB just completely underestimated the speed of. Banks gets by him for 38. Then a weird sequence of events unfolds. There's a pass interference call in the end zone on Devaris Daniels, and now looks like it's going to be first and goal from the one for the Argos. Chad Kelly comes in. We're going to see the short yardage package, a sneak or whatever. But it gets challenged, and it gets overturned. Uh, right or wrong to overturn that PI on Devaris Daniels? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm okay with it. It, it. I felt like there was a little contact but it wasn't egregious, and and for a red zone, for red zone flag, I think it needs to be a little more egregious than that. Yeah, I was fine with it too. I I just didn't think the flag should have been thrown in the first place. I wasn't convinced it wouldn't be picked up because there was a bit of contact. He did kind of prevent him uh, from getting to the ball, but it just didn't feel like like what you're saying. No, it didn't it was, feel it like soft. oh well, this is a first and goal. Yeah, it was soft. And they they sort of. Uh, it, it looked rough because the, so they end up getting down to a first and goal situation again, a, a play later. They're, they're down on the four yard line or the three yard line. And you're expecting, you're expecting a run. And I'm not sure it's, I'm not sure it's wrong not to have run, but they play, they ran initially Bethel Thompson rolling out. He had receivers open, but he had linemen right in his face. And I don't, I don't think he could have made those throws. He ends up, hanging onto it for a really long time, almost taking a sack and then just getting rid of it at the last second. And initially I thought that might've been a grounding call, but one of the receivers was able to work his way back for that. I think that was Coxie. And then on the second and goal from the two, 
It's a touchdown pass to Gittens. It's just a really nice setup. It looked like run action the whole way. And then McLeod pulls the ball, throws it to Gittens, who'd been coming across. And suddenly they're back in the game. It's 13-10. But there's like 20 seconds left in the half. And this is where the win came into play again. It's 13-10. Toronto kicks off. Hamilton has a really nice return. Gets it back out to like their 47. Again, there were a couple of weird spots in there. And a couple of plays later, there's Seth Small, who we've seen come up short a number of times, suddenly booting a 58-yard field goal uh, straight through. And he had a, a couple yards to spare. He was good from 60 in pregame warm-up from that side. And it just shows you the advantage that the, the wind um, was, was giving kickers because he nails that. And now it's 16-10 Hamilton going into the locker room and all the momentum I felt they had built from that last touchdown drive. It's not like it was all gone, but it was pretty disappointing, especially thinking at that point that Hamilton was going to be getting the ball to start that third quarter. Yeah, I I didn't sweat that kick. Uh, When they scored the touchdown, I thought that was such a huge ice-breaking moment, kind of like, okay, here we go. Now, Now we're ready to roll because... They they had the PI call back and then they you know then then they, they they had the roll up play that didn't work the crowd is ready to jump on them ready just begging to jump on the team because the roll up play was terrible I hate rollouts in the red zone that's a whole different story but they didn't let it and then a little misdirection which will come up a little later as well and they get the touchdown and to me I felt like okay here we go. That that's what they needed. We're ready to roll, and, the, and you know whatever Hamilton kicks some field goal at the end of the half. I was like, okay, that's not going to matter because we're, you know, we're in the touchdown business right now, and you can kick your field goals all you like, Steel Town. And the second half starts off with Toronto getting the ball, and Toronto made them pay on that opening drive. I I felt like there was a touchdown drive coming there. There was a gorgeous corner he threw to Ambles, he Oof. being MBT, Oof. threw to Ambles. He just oh, it dropped right in there perfectly, throwing it. You know, and with the wind, they had tr- quarterbacks had a lot of trouble throwing with the wind today, which is it's a bit unusual. Usually, you have trouble throwing into the wind, almost always. I don't know if I've ever seen a game where throwing with the wind was actually more difficult than than throwing against the wind but in pregame warm-up nobody none of the four quarterbacks i was watching warm up could hit corner routes with the wind it was just sailing on them and somehow bethel thompson lofted this gorgeous corner ball into ambles it was great protection and you felt like this well here here comes another touchdown drive but then there was another penalty on the offensive line and it completely derailed things now Fortunately, they were with the wind. And so even though I, I felt like the, the drive had stalled, they were within Boris Beatty field goal range. He kicks a 56-yarder that flies out the back of the end zone. If you're wanting to know how much a factor wind was still at that point, to kick from 56 and have it go through the back of the end zone means you were, you were good from 70. Uh, and Beatty would have hit from 70 tonight the way that wind was blowing. So... It's back 16-13 at that point. And it just felt like the momentum was now uh, in, the, in the process of swinging. Hamilton adds a, a field goal doing their short swing route uh, drive, you know, quick passes to running backs. Uh, and you, you know, just like look at the stats before, before Matt Schultz ended up getting injured uh, in this quarter, 
He was 12 of 14 at one point, but barely had any yardage. And it was all of those short running back passes. That's what was getting Hamilton up and down the field. But like we said at the beginning of the podcast, the Toronto defense wasn't breaking. And so they let up another field goal. It's 1913 Hamilton. And now is where everything starts to swing. Uh, there's a reverse to <laughs> Banks. Uh, Bethel Thompson uh, starts uh, hitting receivers uh, one after the other. The drive culminates in a 13-yard touchdown play to Devaris Daniels. Uh, as he takes a hit, it was it was typical. That play was such a typical Bethel Thompson to Devaris Daniels play. You have Bethel Thompson standing in there, knowing he's going to get clocked, and he does. But he just has time to release the ball. Devaris is in the end zone. He takes a huge hit as he catches the ball, hangs on to it. And this just goes to add to Bethel Thompson's red zone success. Uh, he's, as we speak right now, I believe, I'm, I'm not 100%, I'm like 99% on this, but in the red zone, Bethel Thompson is completing at about a 70% rate. He's now got nine touchdowns and no interceptions. We saw three red zone touchdowns in tonight's game. And after that drive, that was that was basically it. Uh, Hamilton never recovered. Yeah, it was great to see. I mean, Deveris has been good in the red zone, so that wasn't surprising. Um, I, I was kind of upset at him earlier because I felt he had you know, let a, a tough pass get through his hands. And, you know, it's just crucial for those guys to catch the tough ones. You know, when, when McLeod is battling, you got to catch him. You know, you just can't can't drop balls that you that you can catch, especially when you're as good as Daniels. Um, and, you know, I was kind of frustrated because I contrasted it with the Hamilton touchdown where, you know, the where, uh, you know, he was hit incredibly hard and still ended up in the end zone. But then Daniels, you know, just shut all that thinking down because he was hammered by that safety coming over and very easily could have lost that ball. And he, you know, he held on to it for what turned out to be the game-changing touchdown. And, uh, you know, that that's who he is, you know. I just wish he was that more. But uh, man, you know, it's it's great when we see it. I've been preaching all year about how Devers Daniels should be at X instead of W, outside instead of in the slot. And again, he's he's in the slot today. But I haven't had a chance to actually talk to Devers about that until today. I finally asked him the question, are you better at X or at W? And he, he didn't it's not like he dodged the question, but he also didn't give me a full answer and say, well, I'm definitely better here. But he did say that he believes his skill set lends itself to being on the outside. That's that's where he's he's been more comfortable. And so to me, like I, I still think he's got to be outside. But at the same time, Demonte Coxey really stepped up today. He was out there playing X and he had a rough week last week. He had like one catch for like, what was it, eight yards? This week, uh, he looked like a, a whole different guy. And if you're getting that kind of play from Coxey, then I'm okay having Deveris on the inside. Because Coxey ends up finishing the day with four catches, 63 yards, a couple really big ones. It was the 35-yarder that was just a gorgeous catch. And he was a threat all night long on the outside. So if he's someone that can step up, then sure, leave Deveris on the inside because now suddenly there are, there are all sorts of weapons that Hamilton clearly didn't know what to do with. 
Let's get into the, uh, I guess, Toronto pulling away section. So it's 2019 at this point for Toronto. And then Peters gets another interception. Evans is getting hit at the time. Evans back in the game because Schiltz is injured. Uh, Evans gets hit as he throws. Peters is right there to pick it off. And then it just felt like Toronto was going to start piling on. The offense runs back on the field. Bethel Thompson hits, a, hits Banks with a big pass and then finds Ambles on a crosser for a touchdown. And I think these crossing routes in the red zone is something we haven't seen Toronto do a lot of. And we talked about Toronto needing to find ways to beat man coverage. Well, having crossing routes and having um, not not pick routes, but you know, sort of pick routes where a guy's running in behind another guy, that's a great way to get guys open in the red zone. We saw a lot of that in the second half today, and that Ambles touchdown is a great example of that. Now suddenly Toronto's up eight points, 27-19, and it, yeah, it was they were rolling at that point. Yeah, you know, we, we've we've talked about Macbeth or I you know, I I've, I've certainly written about Macbeth. He's a streaky quarterback. You know, when he when he when he's feeling it, he really really just spins it. And and that second half, you could tell he was feeling it and when he is, he's as good as any quarterback in the league, you know, and that that's what we saw in the second half is they were able to to unlock that and get him feeling comfortable and the line was able to give him enough time to uh to to you know just watch the game because it feels like the game speeds up sometimes for him when he's he's frustrated. He's an intense guy, you know, he takes this incredibly seriously and and when things are not going well, I think I think he does bog down a little bit in his own mind. And when he's spinning it, he's just being a more natural athlete and that that was what we saw um you know and and was great to see and i think we got to give some credit to aj willette who had a couple of huge blitz pickups so one was on that that ambles touchdown that we just talked about where if he doesn't see the guy and he, he finds him at the last minute and he's able to completely clear him out just to buy bethel thompson some time and then the other on the 35 yard uh, bomb. I think it was. I feel like it was a was it a corner route or was it just a go route uh, to to Coxey. A beautiful ball and Wallette again is the only guy that could have picked this guy up. He finds him. Bethel Thompson's able to get rid of it. I asked I asked Bethel Thompson after the game because I, I was I was kind of wondering this. I'm like, are you are you aware as it's happening that Wallette has just made a huge blitz pickup as you're throwing it? And or or is it just the, the fact that you were able to throw it and you didn't get knocked on your on your back that you knew he must have picked up the blitz, or do you not see it until you get to the sideline? He's like, yeah, usually it's not. I I don't know. And then I get to the sideline and look at the well, the first thing he does always is is get the get the iPad out or the tablet out and and look at what happened. And he's like, yeah, I see. That's when I see like man, AJ stepped up again and allowed me to make that throw. But yeah, for a, a night where well, it didn't have a a huge game statistically six carries for 16 yards 2.7 a carry that's not a good night uh, as a running back and he and he wasn't like he remember the receiver that he was last week leading the team in receptions and yards didn't have a single catch out of the backfield today and yet he was instrumental in a couple of these touchdown drives in that he was able to to pick up the blitz and it's such a valuable thing for a CFL running back I thought that was a real key in the first half too where uh, McLeod was clearly looking for Olette, and 
Hamilton had watched the film and were giving him full respect. You know, they gave him a cornerback. Uh, they gave him tight coverage. They did not allow him free releases into the side or to run out. And a couple of times, drive died because, you know, they looked and they were looking for the outlet and Hamilton was all over him. So that was, you know, that was a big transition to, to basically just stop use it, looking to him to be a target because Hamilton had, had taken him out of it with the game plan. And as we get into the fourth quarter, Hamilton is now starting to get desperate. They're down, they're down eight, and Jamal Peters with uh, the hat trick, his third interception of the game. Again, it's like what we talked about before. He's back in zone coverage. He's he's able to sit back with deep third responsibility, looking forward. He cuts in front of White yet again, and there's nobody in front of him. He takes it 67 yards for a pick six. Toronto's up 34-19 at that point, and the party's on. Hamilton has a turnover on downs on their next one, and then uh, BD adds another field goal after that that coaxy catch. And uh, before you know it, it's it's 37-19. Hamilton adds a single late, but that is uh, that is all she wrote. It, it must have been so discouraging as a Hamilton staff to really feel like this game got away from you. Like when they look back at this game and they they sort of see that, you know, they had a six point lead going to halftime. They had a chance to take the ball third quarter. Like what are they looking at when they look back at this? Like what mistakes did they make where they allowed the game to get away from them like this? Or was this just an unstoppable machine that somehow started clicking in the second half. Well, I think not taking the kickoff in the second half. I mean, if you take the kickoff and score, now you're up 13. I think that's a totally different game. The crowd is different. The Argo sideline vibe is different. Your team's vibe is different. I, I think that was the decision that, that impacted the game the most. Even though Toronto didn't score, it didn't matter. The fact that Hamilton didn't come out and basically you know, throw dirt on, on, on any hopes of a Toronto return was everything. So I I thought that cost them the game, to be honest. It's interesting to me when I think about how Hamilton handled their quarterback situation today, they had Dane Evans start. He wasn't playing well. Matt Schiltz came in and was playing well. Now he was, he was captain check down, but 13 of 15 for 144 and a touchdown those are good numbers. He was moving the ball. Uh, he was setting up field goals. He did have that one touchdown pass, uh, like we said before, uh, to Durant. But uh, he, his, his numbers were fine. Then he gets hurt, and now Dane Evans has to go back in. The guy that you just pulled. And I thought they had a really short leash on Evans. He had one interception at the time when he was pulled. And I think it was still a 3-3 game at that point when Schiltz went in. It seemed to That seemed to be the plan. Like He was going to take over for the rest of the game. And then when Schultz got hurt, Evans comes back in and he subsequently throws two more picks. And this is not going to be a confident quarterback coming into next week in in Labor Day because they even replaced Evans at one point. Jalen Morton got out there for a few snaps and then they sort of had enough with that experiment. And Dan Evans came back in again. Like Dan Evans basically pulled twice in this game, had a three interception game. We know what kind of guy Dan Evans is. He's a fighter. He's a very confident quarterback. But I just don't feel like 
Hamilton did themselves any favors when they're going to have to now turn to him and say, well, you're the guy this week, Dane, knowing that he was pulled almost immediately after making one mistake and then was pulled a second time and finished the game with three interceptions. He, he's got to be doubting himself right now. Uh, I don't think he's doubting himself, but I would imagine that there are plenty of people on the bus that are. Um, so that can be worse in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, I'm I'm perfectly fine taking on Dane Evans moving forward. I think that uh, he 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 tends to push things. He doesn't necessarily, um, you know. I think he he feels his arm can get passes that are that through that he he just can't. And you know you know the Argos have been really effective at picking him off. You know he look he's had his moments too, but. I'm I'm fine with that. Heading into Labor Day weekend, um, I would much rather face him. And I don't think we can forget Hamilton's drop touchdown as well, which uh, had you know a pretty big impact on the game. Yeah, that was a weird one because Toronto hadn't let up many big plays. That's the whole point of the the bend but don't break. The two big plays they did let up. There was the 32 yarder which was when a defender slipped and fell uh, in man coverage and a receiver ended up wide open. Um, he was, I, I think that was Poppy White, ended up wide open over the middle because his, his coverage fell. And the other one that could have been and wasn't, would, you know, would have been a touchdown where there was a mix-up in coverage and it looked like Chris Edwards passed off a receiver and he thought he had McFadden over top but McFadden wasn't over top. There was no one, in fact, over top. And I don't remember who the Hamilton receiver was, but he ended up having trouble getting his body turned around. Uh, it, it sort of got, the, the ball got carried away a little bit in the end zone too, and he wasn't able to to get a hold of it. But yeah, that if that's a touchdown, that changes the game a little bit too. And maybe that changes, maybe that changes the night a little bit for Dane Evans too. But yeah, that I, I kind of forgotten about that play. That could have been a big one. So looking at the box score and some of the other things, this isn't like some of the statistical nights that McLeod Bethel Thompson has had. This doesn't look like one of them. The three touchdowns to one interception is great, but he still only ended up 19 of 32, 59% completion for a quarterback that has been hovering around the 70% completion mark all season long. That's kind of a a strange one I think it it you know this doesn't jump off the page as one of his better games but I felt like he played extremely well tonight yeah he, well he had a terrible first half he was under 50 percent and and didn't have many yards so I think when you look at how how good he was in the second half it's it's really more that he had a fantastic second half well like last minute of first half and second half and what do you think about the the rushing yards? Like the Brandon Banks had 14 yards on that reverse, but other than that, you've got what nine carries for 29 yards uh, coming out of your, yeah. your two backs and Javon Leak. And I, it looked like Javon Leak got banged up, and it it didn't look like AJ Willett was 100 percent either. I feel like this is going to have to be addressed this week. They're going to have to bring somebody in. They had no fullbacks dressed today. It looks so weird on the depth chart to have nobody. They had the fullback position listed and nobody under it. And the the three running backs we didn't really see out of Baboye today, but we you know we we saw a little bit of leak and then he disappeared, which I assume was was injury related. And yeah, well that just didn't look like himself. So. 
I don't know what the plan is going to be uh, heading into next week. Yeah, they're going to need to find a body, somebody who can join the running backs, carry the ball 10 times a game. Uh, you know, this is not sustainable. So, you know, what? Uh, a lot of guys are getting cut from the NFL right now. You have to think somebody is on year two or three and, uh, you know, might have a connection with a guy on the team and can come up and, and, and you know, play half a season. That, I mean, that's really my hope is is by by Tuesday, uh, we've got somebody who can come up and, you know, at least be another body, uh, you know, somebody, a veteran who can come in and, and uh, you know, offer, you know, who knows, maybe they'll get lucky. Even if he's not great, just another body. It's interesting to look at the receiving stats today because there were no running back receptions and it's not like they went deep into the bench either. The five starting receivers who were out there basically the whole night because they, there was very little substitution. I, I know Joan Breskison came in for a couple of snaps, not too many, but the five starting receivers were the only five players to catch passes and it was spread around very evenly. Banks had three touchdowns, sorry, three, three touchdowns, that would have been great. Three receptions. Uh, then Coxie's got four receptions, Ambles has four receptions, Daniels has four receptions, and Gittens Jr. has four. Really spread around, but limited to the starting receivers. It, it, are these numbers good or bad when you look at them? Like the spreading around part's got to be good, but a little concerning that nobody else is on that receiving uh, chart. No, I mean, it was only half of football that they were catching balls, so it doesn't surprise me that the numbers are a little bit weird. Yeah, I guess that's true. I, I guess that's a that is a pretty good that is a pretty good second half. I I just feel like it, that hasn't been the case. There's so many games this year where McLeod has got nine or ten different receivers involved in the passing game, and it did feel a bit more limited. But I guess if if guys are going to step up, then those are the guys you hope are doing the stepping up. It's from your five receivers, and after last week, where really it was just Willette doing all the work. I guess it's nice to see the receivers do what they're supposed to be doing uh, out there catching balls. And there weren't any huge discrepancies other than with Curly Gittens Jr. Most of the receivers' targets to reception ratios were good. Gittens Jr. was a bit tough. Uh, nine targets. Uh, he had the most targets on the team and only ended up with, with four catches for 26 yards. Uh, he did have the touchdown catch, but he could have had a second one. I thought he had a real opportunity. There was sort of a corner fade McLeod put up what I thought was a really nice ball and Gittins Jr. had an opportunity to high point it and come down for the touchdown, but he waited till it got to him and it was sort of broken up at the last minute. He has disappeared a little bit in recent weeks. He still, you know, still came up with four catches and a touchdown today. No question, he's still of value, but he doesn't look like the same player who lit the league on fire last year and started out on fire this season. No, he, he, yeah, I mean, we talked about his Hall of Fame path. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know whether he's fighting an injury or, you know, just simply, you know, you coax, he's coming on and, and that's taking some targets. Um, you know, he's, like you say, he's still good. Tonight wasn't his best night. He's still good. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I didn't read much into it. You know, I think, this team has very much been about different guys take take different nights to kind of dominate and um you know he he doesn't look like he's he's fighting an injury so i i expect him to you know to come around
I wonder how much of it is being in a slightly different spot. He's playing a lot more reps out of the slot as opposed to being on the line. He was pretty much exclusively a Z to, well, all of last season and to start the year this year where he's lined up on the line of scrimmage. He's way out wide. And now suddenly he's not. He's in where a little bit more of the action is. And defenses are certainly more aware of him too. He's not catching anyone off guard. People know who he is coming into the game. So I think it's probably a combination of those things. But yeah, it is it is a little strange that his numbers have dropped off like that without looking like he's he's laboring or anything. All right, JB, let's get to our players of the game and our play of the game. Let's start on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, I'll go first. So I, I think offensively, uh, the player of the game has got to be McLeod Bethel-Thompson. Uh, the stats, as I said, don't fly off the page, but he was a leader out there today. And I think he was pretty clearly the best player on the offensive side for the, the Toronto Argonauts. Yeah, I I agree with you. Um, I'm, I'm going to pick somebody different just to be different. Um, but he, he, you know, he, he was the reason that they won tonight. Um, for me, I think my offensive uh, player, you know, is somebody I, you know, can be tough on, but Devaris Daniels, you know, he, he had the touchdown catch. Uh, he had a couple of uh, big catches in the middle of the field. He is somebody who should be a, a, a bigger weapon, but I think the team feeds off it when he scores, you know, he's, he has this, uh, kind of impact on the team that when Devaris scores, uh, I should look that up actually before the podcast. But uh, <laughs> I, I, it certainly feels like when he scores, they win. Yeah, it does. And he's like he's so effective in the red zone. He's such a good route runner, which again is why I like him at X, where I feel like you, I feel like you have more opportunities out there. Now the red tree opens up a lot more in the slot, but I just feel like the the precision of what he does lends itself so well to being on the outside. But um, yeah, he he runs great routes, and in the red zone when you're facing man coverage, that's the guy you want to go to. But that's also why it's so frustrating some weeks where they don't, where he just doesn't get those red zone targets. And a night like tonight where he was open in the red zone only just briefly, but enough to get the ball to him. He created space by running great routes. Uh, and yeah, you wonder why why this isn't a weekly thing, and I don't have the answer to that. For a defensive side of the ball, why don't you go first for for this one? Who's your defensive player of the game? I kind of feel like I know who this might be. Right. I mean, I think much like offense, um, you know, defense was uh, Jamal Peters' night. He was, um, you know, look, we've been huge fans of his. He absolutely has been a guy that we've recognized as a rising star. And and I think tonight really highlights that, that he he's fantastic blitzing. He's fantastic in the run. He's a good tackler. He's got great hands, you know, game-changing picks, pick six. You know, what this, this was his, I guess, in some ways, his coming out party for other people. But I think you and I both had highlighted him a bunch of times as – the, you know, a star of the defensive backfield. And, uh, you know, that's, man, if he can, if he can keep this up, you know, wow. I mean, it, it absolutely changes the, the dynamic of the team to have um, a ball hawk and a blitzer and these kinds of very kind of specific skills that he brings to that secondary. Um, it, it makes the team, you know, when Shaq comes back, you know, it'll really be something. 
it's funny him after the game like he he was sort of in disbelief a little bit because he his opening statement was that he's not sure he's ever had three interceptions in like a, a pickup schoolyard game let alone a professional football game so it did surprise him a, a little bit and i guess it would like three interceptions is 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 bananas but um, yeah, he he is a guy like you said. We've been talking about a lot, and I I don't think I can go with anyone else. Like I know you did that to be different. I it, with the offensive side of the ball, I don't know. Like Winton McManus had eleven tackles, but it it didn't feel like one of his better games. It wasn't it didn't feel like he was the reason that that the Argos defense was playing well. I think you. I, I think I would have to go with Jamal Peters as well. I I do want to highlight one thing that that I thought he did really well. He had a really nice run stop. And he's just learned to play so instinctively. There was this one play, and I don't remember where exactly in the game it was. Uh, he's lined up his corner, as always. And Hamilton was running a formation where they had double tight uh, and no other receiver to Jamal Peters' side. So it's the only the tight end is over on that side. And it's a lineman. They, they brought in one of their offensive linemen to serve as a tight end, which almost always means run. And Jamal Peters has coverage on that lineman. That's his guy. He's an eligible receiver in this formation. And that's supposed to be the guy he's lined up with. But instead of just sitting back and waiting to see if this offensive lineman, who's like 310 pounds, runs a route, instead it triggers a blitz for him. And he goes and just lights up the running back for a loss. And, you know, that it's not a, as big a play as the pick six or any of the picks for that matter, but it stopped a drive and it was just another heads up play. You'll see some DBs on that still going through the motions, doing their jobs. But for him right away, he's like, well, what's this, what's this 300 pound lineman going to do at midfield? It's not like he's running a tackle eligible play. And even if he is, what is he going to get four yards on it before Winton McManus comes over and takes him down? So I, I thought that was a fantastic play. He just couldn't do anything wrong tonight. Uh, do you want to do play of the game? Let's let's do our. I can tell you're excited to do the play of the game. So, JB, what is the play of the game for you? Uh, well, I will tell you what the play of the game for me was. The play of the game for me came in the third quarter. I'll tell you a tale. About five and a half minutes left, and you know I was waiting patiently for my one thing, um, which had not occurred yet, which was a little misdirection to soften up the defense. And then the heavens opened and Brandon Banks comes screaming across for a 14-yard rush. Place goes bananas. Fantastic. Next play, all of a sudden, Let has room for a 7-yard run. Fantastic. Flag. Touchdown. They never look back. So what I'm saying to you is that reverse play won the game. That's nonsense. No, the, it's not. It it is the pivotal moment. Little misdirection. Hamilton was suddenly confused. They didn't know what to do. They felt that there was no God, and the game just simply crumbled in their hands like dust after the banks reverse. Like that happened chronologically, but a lot of things did. Like I'm sure some guy went and got a beer at that point too. And so you could also say, well, right when right when Joe went to get a beer, that's when Toronto really no. turned it on. Like it, it coincided with it. I, I do want to see more play calling like that. I like the end of rounds. I want more stuff like that. I like misdirection. I don't think that 
play can be the play of the game. Well, you've made it the play of the game for you, but I think that, I think that's I don't think that makes any sense. Uh, like that didn't that didn't swing anything. That didn't. Well, I, it just I, happened to coincide with them scoring a, a go ahead touchdown. I, I I could not disagree more. It was it was the key play in that touchdown drive, and it opened up the running lane on the very next play, which is exactly what the misdirection is supposed to do. I'll give you the real play of the game. And it was near the end of the first half. The play of the game is the touchdown pass to Curly Gittins Jr. Because if that doesn't happen, then probably nothing else does. It's second and goal from, was it the two-yard line, three-yard line? If if this pass doesn't work, and now it's third and goal from the two, this is probably going to be a field goal. And now we're suddenly talking about a very different game. This, this ends up being a 10-point deficit going into half. Maybe there's talk even at that point about McLeod Bethel-Thompson not coming out as quarterback in the second half. I don't know. That's a, It's not a question. I was going to say maybe we should have asked Coach Dinwiddie that. I don't think we're getting an answer to that question because it's a hypothetical. And, and I think ultimately it would have been the wrong move had McLeod Bethel-Thompson not come out for the second half, regardless of what happens on this play. But I think you're certainly feeling that pressure from fans. I think you're certainly feeling that pressure from the media who aren't us. Uh, and that really changed the game. They get a touchdown on that play and every drive after that, except I think one, they score points on. So yeah, it was a, it was a huge play and that was a real play of the game for the Toronto Argonauts. Mm-hmm. Any uh, thoughts about next week, JB? Heading into Hamilton for Labor Day, it always feels like death. I feel like the Argos always lose this game and yet... Coming off this game, the team's got to be pretty confident. I, I have trouble seeing them losing next week. And yet I've, you know, my preseason predictions were an automatic loss because it's in Hamilton on Labor Day. Has today's game changed your mind at all on that? Yeah, I, I, the, the vibe I get is similar to Saskatchewan where we thought, okay, fantastic. They won the first game. They're not going to sweep. And I know Saskatchewan was down a bunch of guys, um, but... They went into Saskatchewan and came away with the victory for the for the two pack. Uh, this team knows that they can win in Hamilton as they did last year, and I think that's huge. To to not it wasn't Labor Day, but to have a win in you know that you know you were able to go in there. The place isn't haunted. Uh, I like it. I like the team. I think the team is going to be ready. Um, I'm yeah. I I I think they're gonna snap the uh, streak. That's what I think. Well, that will just about do it for us on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. The Toronto Argonauts are victorious, thirty-seven twenty over the Hamilton Tiger Cats. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long, and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya. Fight the foe, foe, foe.